Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And today we're continuing on in our series from Mark, where we're talking about Jesus in action. Mark is a collection, a lot of Mark is a collection of one action scene after another. It'd be like a really good uh, storyline for a movie, because Mark was convinced that if we just saw Jesus in action, we really would believe he's the Son of God and that he really came into the world to save us of our sins. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, some sequences out of chapter 14 in Mark where Jesus prepares for his upcoming death. And find in fact, you'll find an outline in your bulletin by that title. And the whole idea here is that Jesus was on a mission. Jesus, we'll talk about next week how he was crucified and he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday. And uh, it's a tremendous message of hope uh, that is given to us every time we recount this. But even as he's headed toward the cross, it becomes very clear that Jesus was no victim when he was nailed to the cross. He went there on purpose because he loves us so much. He came to die to rescue us from our sin. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah, it is good news. And so this morning we're going to talk about that he was a man on a mission, a mission that he came to fulfill. He was God in the flesh, fully God, fully human at the same time, and he is focused on this. And you'll see that in each of the scenes we talk about today. And it gives us great hope that that's why he came. It was no tragic accident. This was all God's will to save you and me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you that Mark was faithful to recount what Jesus did and what he said before he died. And Lord, he prepared for his death and he prepared his disciples for his death. And Lord, I pray that today you will prepare us uh, so that we can fully embrace what you came to do and the good news that that entails. I pray you'll speak and move me out of the way and remind us of what a wonderful Savior you are, you are, Savior you are, and help us to serve you with all our hearts. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in some blanks or take some notes, ask the ushers for a pen. They'll be glad to give one to you. And um, we're going to jump right in. So Mark has got these sequences, these action sequences, back to back to back. The first, we're hitting three of them today. The first one is this. A woman anoints Jesus with perfume in anticipation of his upcoming death. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. And some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. Could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. I mean, let me just jump in there. A year's wages. Let's say somebody made $35,000 a year. I don't even know if you could buy a $35,000 bottle of perfume here in the Montgomery area. I mean, I'm a connoisseur of perfume. Uh, no, I am not. Okay. So I don't even know. And if, and if somebody used it or poured it out, I wouldn't know what it smelled like, obviously. But this was, this was an amazingly expensive bottle of perfume. Okay, and so she got a strong reaction because there were people going, oh, my goodness, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But listen to Jesus. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. But you won't always have me. She's done what she could and has anointed my body for, for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. We're discussing it today, in 2017. Now, a couple of things I need to uh, point out to you. It was customary in those days to anoint bodies of deceased loved ones with perfume and spices before burial. This is why the women come to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. 
and this is jumping ahead a, a few days here, but you'll see, but this is just verifying the point I'm trying to make here. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene and Salome and Mary, the mother of James, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. If you're not familiar with the Easter story, Jesus dies on Good Friday on the cross. Just before sundown, he's taken down. Well, the Jewish day ends at sundown, or the, and the new day begins. Well, the next day is a Sabbath day that runs from sundown to sundown. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. So the women weren't allowed to uh, prepare Jesus' body for burial the next day on that Sabbath day, on that Saturday. So his body was in the tomb all that day from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday, and they went and bought spices Saturday evening. After the sun went down, it was the day after the Sabbath. Well, the stores would open up again on Saturday evening where people could buy things. But then by then it was dark also, and they're not going out to the cemetery to a graveyard at night to take care of the body, and so they wait until Sunday morning. That's why they would have gone out then. And we'll get to that story next week. But I just wanted you to know this was a common custom to anoint bodies for burial, um, and that was what this woman and Jesus said. That's how he interpreted this. I mean, you've got to remember, Jesus is focused on dying on the cross to pay for my sins and for yours. So even as this woman is doing this, she's doing this as an act of devotion. And he says, and people are fussing at her. He goes, don't fuss at her. She gave me a precious gift here. And you can tell where Jesus' thoughts are. His, in a few days, he's going to die on the cross. He's not letting anything distract him from this. Nothing. Remember, Mark's writing this to convince us this is the Son of God. Well, the Son of God came to die for you and me. And that's good news. Because then I don't have to die for my sins. He paid for them. You'll see that in a minute. Now, back to the woman again. The woman's extravagant gift of love and devotion demonstrated she was willingly gave her best to Jesus. Now, again, Mark puts this in there because this only makes sense for her to do so if Jesus really deserves it. I mean, Jesus knew he was going to die, and he wasn't trying to store up money for his future ministry. I mean, this was, he was coming to complete this task. And what he wanted his disciples to know was, hey, there's a bigger picture here. And what we need to know is this. And he welcomed her devotion. And think about this. She had impacted his life in some way so much that she wanted to give her very best to him. And that only makes sense if he really deserves it. And he does. So here's a life application for you and me. Well, let me, first of all, this was a common thread. David, who loved God and wrote many psalms of love to him, said, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. I mean, this woman wanted to give Jesus her best. This would have been a very expensive bottle of perfume. It may well have been her dowry. Um, and she was giving away everything, basically, she had because she wanted it for Jesus. But a life application for you and me is this. We must give our best to Jesus even if others don't understand. I mean, we have the Son of God came into the world to die on the cross for my sins and for yours to save us. He gave everything for you and me. And so it's only right that we give our best to him. Paul wrote about this in Galatians. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. And I doubt that any of us are going to see anybody pour out a $35,000 bottle of perfume anytime soon. But I have had people do something similar to this, that people say, well, you know, is it really necessary? They'll fuss at somebody who's really made a commitment. They're going to read the Bible every day, and, it'll, and they're going to um, serve in a ministry area, but it means that some vacation plans won't work out now. They had to give that up. And they go, people go, well, you, know, you don't have to do all I mean, do you have to read the Bible every day? I mean, aren't you getting carried away with this Jesus stuff? 
I mean, the ultimate example, and this has happened to me several times in ministry, where people have come to see me because someone is going to go into ministry. They may go into missions when they could pursue a uh, full-time medical practice here, but they want to be a medical missionary and go overseas. Or they may want to give up a lucrative job in order to go and uh, be a part of a ministry that reaches out to folks in the inner city or something like this. And, And God calls people to do this all the time. And so occasionally people come to me, well-meaning friends, and they'll come to me and say, hey, John, this person is going to do this. They're throwing away a great career and all this stuff. Would you please go talk to them and tell them they don't need to do that? I mean, these are people that, and the reason that they come to me is because I'm a good friend, and I know these people are doing this because God has called them. And I go, no, this is what they need to do. And they go, and I even had one occasion where somebody kind of bowed up them, and they said, look, they got a lucrative career. They've gone all the way through this. They've gone all the way through med school and all this stuff. Now they're going to go be a missionary. I mean, they're going to be a full-time ministry. I mean, the only kind of people who do ministry are people who can't get a job anywhere else. And they're telling this to me. <laughs> and I go, I'm sitting here. I go, well, no offense. I go, well, it's too late for that, okay? We crossed the fence a long time ago. Now, look. It's the same sort of thinking, though. You don't need to give that away. Keep it for yourself. In a wonderful way, this woman is just giving to Jesus. Jesus said, what a perfect way to prepare me for my burial. He's coming to give everything. And now this woman has given her best to him. Jesus in action, the one who came to die to give it all away, is receiving a very costly gift by someone who just loves him and is Grateful for the change he made in his life. He's the son of God. Second scene. And that's why we go through these every week in Jesus in action. Second action sequence. So go from the dinner. Now we've gone fast forward to Thursday night, right before Good Friday. Jesus explains, this point two, to his disciples the significance of his upcoming death at the Last Supper. Second scene. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples ask him, where do you want to go to prepare the Passover meal? Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, you'll meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. He'll meet you. Follow him at the house where he enters. Say to the, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He'll take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. And that's where you should prepare a meal. If you've ever heard the expression, the upper room, that's what it's talking about. The place where Jesus and his disciples had a Passover meal. As a note in your outline, the Passover meal reminded the Israelites of God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt and protection from the angel of death. God himself had commanded the Israelites to always remember how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt after hundreds of years. A whole series of plagues had been sent on the Egyptians, the last one being a plague where the firstborn male, every human male, every animal, uh, firstborn male uh, descendant would be slain uh, when the angel of death came through the land of Egypt. But the Israelites would be protected because they obeyed God. These are your instructions. This is from Exodus 12. God is speaking to Moses here. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I'll pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I'll execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. 
But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And if you don't underline that. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is the law for all time. And so every year they would gather together at the specified time and a lamb would be sacrificed. It had been set apart without spot or blemish. It would be slaughtered just before twilight and on that day. And then after the sun went down, they would gather together sometime between sundown and midnight Families would gather together and eat this roasted lamb and some bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter years of slavery in Egypt. And they would have a meal together. And so Jesus was having this meal with his disciples. But this is not coincidence. And Mark records this again. This is an action sequence. Don't miss this. This, is a, this meal was happening while they're eating Passover because Jesus was proclaimed to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he wants his disciples to see the meaning of this. Just as a Passover lamb had been slain, so the angel of death would pass over. And the children of Israel would be freed from slavery. Well, Jesus came into the world to free us from death itself. So we could live forever with him in heaven. And free us from slavery to sin. Not just slavery to Pharaoh. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says this. Christ is our Passover lamb who's been sacrificed for us. And Mark wanted all of his readers to understand Jesus had set this all. This is all, this isn't coincidence. This has all happened, so you can't miss what's happening. Jesus prepares for his death. He's preparing his disciples for his death. Don't miss the significance. Note, okay, and so as they were eating, here's what happened. Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. A little later in the service, we will all be taking communion together. But when Jesus took the bread and broke it, he had given thanks. When he poured the cup, he gave thanks. Uh, the word in New Testament Greek is Eucharisteo, if you ever wondered why it was called the Eucharist. It's when you give thanks for what Jesus has done. And that's what that means. But so he broke the bread, and he offered them the cup, and he said, I don't ever want you to forget what I'm doing here. I am the Passover lamb. My blood is shed to take away the sins of the whole world. My body is broken. I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve upon me so you can go free. This is a new covenant. Under the old covenant, animals had to die in our place, but they weren't an equal substitution, so they had to die over and over again. When could there be one substitution made for all time? When there would be a sinless, perfect human who would pay the sins for all of us forever. That's Jesus. That's what we celebrate every time we take the Lord's Supper. That's what we give thanks for, Eucharisteo. We give thanks for this. Now, there's a note here about that new covenant. The writer of Hebrews had a lot to say about this. Here's part of it. With his blood, speaking of Jesus, not the blood of goats and calves. This is a new covenant here in that note. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. 
Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he's the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive eternal, the eternal inheritance God has promised them. A new covenant. And here's the life application. Jesus offers as a gift to us this new covenant with God based on his righteousness and his sacrifice. So we must take it. It's based on his righteousness and his sacrifice. His body was broken. He never sinned. He was tempted to sin in every way we are, but he never sinned. And so he could be the permanent sacrifice, die for sins once for all time. His blood was shed, washes away, his blood washes away the sins of the whole world. And it's a new covenant. It used to be that the animals had to die in the old covenant, and it was never, ever finished. But it's done once and for all. And so when Jesus told his disciples, I want you to remember me, he said, here's my body. Take it. This is my blood. Take it. And so my counsel to all of us this morning is this, is when Jesus offers a sacrifice that's based on his righteousness, not mine, because I know what a sinner I am, when it's based on his uh, work on the cross and his sacrifice, not mine, because I never would have been able to do that. I, I never would have had the courage to follow through in the first place, and I never could have done it even for myself, because I'd been disqualified. When it's based on his righteousness and his sacrifice, this is an offer that's amazing, and we need to take it. If there's some reason, for some reason, you've been holding back to say, I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus, well, listen to the words of Paul. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Take it. I mean, when we offer the bread at communion, we're offering Jesus and the blood, the the cup, we're offering Jesus died for you. You can't die for yourself. We're all sinners here, but he was sinless and he died in our place. When Jesus' body is broken, he said, look, I will die so you can live. I'll be punished so you can go free. I'm setting you free from slavery to sin and death forever. Take it. Take it. And of course, Mark includes all this because that would only make sense if he really was who he said he was. I mean, if he really is the son of God, he is stronger than death. And he's going to prove that in a couple of days. But Mark didn't want us to miss it. So don't miss it. Hear the good news. If you come here today and, and you believe that somehow you're mistakenly under the impression that God doesn't love you and he hates you and he's out to get you, you're dead wrong. He sent his son into the world to die on the cross for you. That's why Jesus came and he wouldn't let anything detract him from it. A third sequence in Mark 14. There's actually more. I just hit three. Another action scene. Jesus prays about his upcoming death in the Garden of Gethsemane. After they finish that last supper, they go to a garden. It's on the Mount of Olives, which is just a small mountain covered with an olive grove. Olive trees all over it. I was there a few, uh, like 20 years ago with my wife. Some of those trees, they estimate, are, would have been there in the days of Jesus. They're probably 2,000 years old. And um, so you're there on the side of this mountain, and it's a place where they had an olive press. That's what Gethsemane means. And so they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. It would have been a nice shady place where they, would, they had often met to pray and talk. 
And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour waiting him might pass him. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. And Abba, Father doesn't mean that much to us, but it would have been a term like, Dad, Dad. And he's crying out to his heavenly Father because Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. I want us to understand this. The only reason he was able to die for us is because he was a fitting sacrifice. He was tempted in every way we are. He experienced all the emotions we feel. And he knew that in a few hours, all the sins of the whole world, my sins, your sins, would all be put on him on that cross. He knew that he would be mocked and beaten and spit upon and that he would die a criminal's death on a cross, though he'd done no wrong. I mean, the weight of it was crushing. And he asked three of his disciples, come with me. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. Will you just come pray with me? Can you please come keep watch with me? Please, I don't want to be alone. And he goes off and prays. Please take this cup of suffering from me. But then if you look at, as we keep reading here, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Please underline that. Remember, Jesus came to die. Never think again that, well, because he's the Son of God, he didn't really experience pain. He didn't really experience those insults and stuff. It was no big deal for him because he's the Son of God. No, he was fully God and fully human. This hurt. This crushed him. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching, and pray so you won't give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Just hang on to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayers before. So he went back and said, Father, please, Dad, if there's any way, other way this can be done, please let that happen. Oh, yet not my will but yours be done. When he turned to them again, he found them sleeping again, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't know what to say. When he turned to them the third time, he said, uh, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but know the time has come the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And just then Judas and a group of soldiers, armed men, came up to arrest Jesus. Here's an important note. Jesus expressed his true feelings to his Father while obediently surrendering to his will. He was surrendering. I mean, I want us to understand this, that there are times when we follow God when he's going to ask us to do hard things. You may have to make an apology. You may have to forgive someone. You might be on either side of that. You may have to take a leap of faith, and it's going to scare the fool out of you. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And sometimes I have people come to me, and they go, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I go, well, let's pray about it. And they go, well, I'm ashamed to pray about it. I don't want God to know I'm scared to do this. And I go, well... Let you in on a secret, he already knows, okay? But I even go to this passage, I go, do you know this is, what, this is the kind of relationship Jesus is modeling? This is the kind of relationship we want to have with him. This is why Mark included so we can see this is God's son. He calls God himself, God the Father, he calls him Dad. And when Jesus told his disciples to pray, he said, pray like that. Tell them what's on your heart. 
He knows. He understands and he'll help you. Listen to Hebrews 5. While he lived on earth, anticipating death, Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he offered up priestly prayers to God. Because he honored God, God answered him. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. Jesus had to experience everything the same way we do. Never think he skipped one bit of pain. Never think that Jesus can't understand you. If there's anyone who can understand going through a hard decision, if there's anyone who can understand how hard it is to surrender to the will of God when it's a hard thing to do, Jesus does. A thousand times more than we ever will. Now think of that. The next time you want to give up. Oh, by the way, Peter couldn't stay awake. Well, he learned the hard way how willing the spirit is and how weak the flesh is. While they were on the way to the garden, Mark records that Jesus, Peter had been telling Jesus, hey, if everybody else leaves you, I won't. Jesus had said at the Last Supper one of them would betray him. Peter goes, I'll die for you. And Jesus even says, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, he'll deny me three times. Well, I hope you put something together here. Three times in the garden, Jesus said, Peter, stay awake and pray so you don't give in to temptation. I mean, the time to pray is when things heat up. Because that's when the devil's always going to tempt you to quit. You don't really need to forgive. You don't really need to surrender everything. You don't need to give your best. You don't need to, you don't need to make that apology. Just let it go. And so that night, a few hours later, right after Peter had said, I'll never deny you, I'll die with you, before the rooster crowed in the morning, Peter had fallen asleep three times, and he denied Jesus three times. Here's a life application. We're getting it from Peter himself. We must keep watch and pray so that we won't give in to temptation when times are hard. Jesus had said that. Hey, your spirit's willing. Good intentions. But your flesh is weaker than you think. Don't think you're that strong. What would Peter say? Well, fortunately, a couple decades later, Peter wrote this himself. This is the guy who fell asleep in the garden, and Jesus rebuked him. This is the guy who denied Jesus three times just a few hours later. He wrote these same words. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember, your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Peter wrote that. That's, these are words for you and me. Hey, if you know there's something hard for you to do, if you're going to have to step out on faith, if you're going to have to face the consequence, if you're going to have to own up to what you've done, if you're going to have to make restitution for something, and it's the right thing to do, and you know it's the right thing to do, it's just humbling, humiliating, hard, whatever it is, that's the time to pray harder so the devil won't distract you. If today God is calling you to come to Christ and make a personal decision, today's the day to come. Don't let him distract you. Peter said that. Learn from my mistake. You stay alert and keep watch. Wish I would have. I didn't even stay awake in the garden. We can learn from him. I mean, Peter is simply recounting everything that Jesus had told him. And one of the things that Jesus taught all the disciples recorded in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, think about the things we're praying for here. God's will to be done, just like Jesus prayed. I want your will, not mine. Stay awake. Keep alert. And he told him to pray this way. Don't lead us into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Your kingdom, your agenda is what matters. It's your power that's going to see us through. And so we surrender to your will. The Lord's Prayer. Mark wanted us to see Jesus in action. A woman anoints him with perfume. Says, well, you know, she's actually preparing me for burial because he's focused on his death. He has the last supper with his disciples. And he says, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. I'm the Lamb of God slain for the whole world. I'm bringing you a new covenant. He's praying in the garden, modeling for us the kind of prayers that he wants us to have. Or even if it's difficult, we surrender to God's will. Because that's what he came to do. And that's why we love him and serve him and give our best to him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just thank you for Mark. I thank you for his account of the life of Jesus. Lord, he is the son of God and we put our faith in him. Only he could have done this. Who can take on the sins of the world besides Jesus? Who's even willing to try? I thank you for that woman who anointed Jesus with perfume. She gave her best. And Lord, I want to give my best. I thank you for the Lord's Supper to remind us who you are and what you came to do so we won't forget. And today, Lord, we just, we just come before you and we ask that you would help us keep watching and pray so the devil would not fool us with his tricks, with his deceptions. And that you give us the strength we might do your will. If you know the Lord's Prayer by heart, I'd invite you to pray it with me. It's, otherwise, you can read it as it's printed in your bulletin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper together here for a few minutes. The way we do it at Centerpoint is we have tables in the front of the room. and.